Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Good morning, church. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 4 as we're continuing to journey through the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. And uh, we arrive now at a section of scripture where we're going to start talking about how Jesus is teaching through the parables, some parables, okay? So as you're turning there to Mark chapter 4, I want to share with you a little bit what I was reading about um, a popular ringtone uh, that got really popular a few years ago. So for your cell phone, there was this ringtone that got really, really popular amongst mainly middle schoolers and high schoolers. And it was a ringtone that was called the Mosquito Tone. The Mosquito Tone. I don't know if if some of you have heard that or have have listened to that ringtone, but it is a ringtone that is so high-pitched that people 25 and older cannot hear it. Okay, so you can imagine that this got popular amongst middle schoolers and high schoolers because it was a way to send text messages and call their friends in class, and anyone over 25 years old would not be able to hear it. Most of the teachers probably could not hear this ringtone. And the, the mosquito tone, it's interesting, it was first developed in Great Britain, and it was developed to irritate teenagers who were loitering outside of convenience stores, okay? So over in Great Britain, convenience stores got tired of teenagers just hanging out in front of their stores, so they would play this tone that was so high-pitched that it would bother and irritate anyone younger than 25 and run them off, so to speak. Uh, but people older than 25 wouldn't be able to hear the tone at all. So it was first developed over in Great Britain, and then some kid figured out how to make it his ringtone, and then it sold in the millions, okay, sold in the millions. You see, inside our ears, we have microscopic hairs uh, that move with the impulses of sound when it enters into our ear canal, and those movements then transmit electrical signals to our brain, and that's how we hear. And as we age, those tiny microscopic hairs in our ear, they start to get worn down, they start to get damaged, and so our hearing slowly becomes less and less sensitive to the sound waves that are coming in, and what we lose sense of first is the sound of high-frequency noises. People over 25 typically can't hear sounds above 16 kilohertz, and the mosquito tone is 17 kilohertz, okay? And the reason I bring that up is because verse 9 in our passage, Mark 4 verse 9, it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Have you ever wondered why someone can hear the same passage of Scripture, can hear the same sermon preached, can read the same verse in their Bible, and have very two different responses from you and them? I mean, I could read a verse from the Bible, and for one person, it might come alive. It might be received with joy. It might convict them. It might comfort them. It might impact them and encourage them in some way. But then for another, they might hear that same truth. They might hear God's word the same way, and yet it just goes in one ear and out the other. They have, it has no impact on what they just heard. One heart hears the word and is receptive to it and responsive to it, and another is, is hardened by it, not affected by it. And this morning, we have arrived at a point here in the book of Mark where we're going to teach through some parables, 
Mark is going to share some of the parables that Jesus taught. And you see, in order to really hear what Jesus is teaching in these parables, we are going to need some spiritual ear hair, so to speak, okay? We're going to need to be sensitive to the Spirit. We're going to need to ask God to give us ears to hear, to truly understand what Jesus is teaching us in these parables. So let's, before we start, let's pray and let's ask God that we would have ears to hear this morning. Father God, we do come before you this morning so thankful, so thankful for your word, so thankful that we have access to it and we can read it and learn it and proclaim it. I thank you for this new family of people that you have brought together who desire to glorify you, to exalt you, to lift you up, to love you, to love their neighbors, and to see the gospel go forth here in Franklin and, in, and throughout the world. And so, God, I ask that as we preach your word, that you would empower me, that you would speak your truth over us. But, God, then I ask that we would have ears that would hear this, that we would have receptive hearts, that we would not reject or harden ourselves to your word, but that it would change us, that it would transform us. So God, give us ears to hear. We will trust you that you will. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we have arrived at the point, like I was saying, where we're going to talk through some of the parables that Jesus taught. And the next few weeks is mainly going to be about parables. So let's talk about parables for a second before we jump in. Let's give a little intro to parables. The word parable means something that is placed along something else for the purpose of clarification, okay? So para, something placed along something else for the purpose of clarification. These were stories or illustrations that were placed alongside a truth that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, a truth he was trying to proclaim to the people. And so he would use stories and illustrations from everyday life that everyone would understand and relate to in order to clarify a truth that he was trying to get across and to teach. One description of a parable that I've heard um, is that it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the parable we're going to look at this morning is often known as the parable of the sower. Okay, but I've, I've titled this morning's sermon, The Surprising Soil. The Surprising Soil. Because yes, we're going to look at the sower, but our main focus, and Jesus' main focus in this parable is on the soils, okay? And I'm praying through, and as I, as I was praying and planning through this sermon, I realized that this was either going to be one just really long mega sermon on this parable, or I would break it up into two parts and, and show some mercy and grace to you all. And so we're going to take this in two parts, all right? So this is the surprising soil part one, all right? And then we will come back to the same parable next week and continue to teach through it. And so my desire in these next two weeks as we teach through this parable is that we will worship God for the fact that although the sower's strategy of just scattering the seed everywhere, it doesn't initially seem that effective or that efficient, but although it doesn't seem like there, a successful harvest is going to be likely, I mean, seeds just kind of scattered everywhere, we are going to see that there is a surprising soil 
there is a surprising soil that is going to bear fruit exponentially. Exponentially. And so we're going to worship God that there is this surprising soil that is going to bear just exponential amounts of fruit. Even though at times through this parable, it's going to seem unlikely. It's going to seem like this strategy of scattering the word is is inefficient. But we're going to see in the end that God is going to work in this surprising soil to bear fruit. We will see that God's word as it goes out, it will accomplish what he has purposed, and it will succeed. Therefore, we must joyfully hear it, we must joyfully receive it, and then we must go and take the word, take the good news of the gospel all over our world, all throughout our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our cities, and wherever God would send us, we are to take the word and scatter it everywhere throughout the world. We will see that it is the church that is the surprising soil who has been given ears to hear, hearts to respond, and the place for the kingdom of God to grow in ways that are going to surprise everyone. But before we look at the parable, I want to direct your attention to verse 3. Mark 4, verse 3. Jesus says, listen. Listen. This word listen, it is a strong word. It is a command. Jesus is saying he wants us to listen carefully to what he's about to say. And this listening, this hearing that Jesus is talking about, it's not just a simply auditory, right? It's not just simply just hear it with your ears, like you hear the sound waves coming into your ears. No, it's a, it's a deeper form of listening. It's a listening that goes beyond the ear and it goes to the heart. And so you're receiving this, you're accepting this, you're believing what he is about to say. He's encouraging, hey, listen, be careful to listen to what he is about to teach us in this parable. Listen to it with your ears, listen to it with your heart, let it affect your heart, receive it into your life, and so that you will respond then in obedience. That's the kind of listening Jesus is talking about, not just a merely acknowledging the words that he is speaking, but it is listening in a way that it affects our hearts and causes us to respond in obedience. You see, the reason Mark starts with this parable before he goes into some of the other parables is that we need to understand why Jesus taught in parables. Okay, I mean, isn't that a good question to answer before we spend the next few weeks talking about parables? Why does Jesus teach in parables? Well, he answers it in our passage. Look at verse 10, Mark 4, verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 6. He is essentially saying he is fulfilling scripture by teaching in parables. By him teaching in parables, it is revealing truth to those who are in fellowship with him. And it is also concealing truth from those who have rejected him. Okay, so don't miss that. It is revealing, by Jesus teaching in parables, it is revealing truth 
to those who are in fellowship with him. And it is also concealing truth from those who have rejected him. And I know that can sometimes be hard to think, why would Jesus conceal truth from anyone? But you see, at this point, Jesus has been doing ministry here on, on uh, his ministry on earth has been for a little while. He's been teaching. He's been going throughout Galilee, performing miracles. He's been casting out demons. People have seen his power. He taught in a way that no one else taught. He taught as one with authority. He was well known in the region. The crowds had been flocking to him. They had had time to, to get to know him, to hear his teaching, to see what he was doing. People had had plenty of opportunities to hear the good message of Jesus and to see his power and to see his authority. And yet, like we talked about last week, the religious leaders of the day, although at some point they, hey, we can't deny your power, but what did they start doing? They started denying the source of his power. They started saying, no, he must be possessed by a demon. He must be empowered by the enemy. They saw these miraculous signs and wonders he was, they were doing, but they rejected that it was from God. They said, no, it must be from the enemy. And then the rest of the crowd has had plenty of time to see Jesus for who he really was. But you remember, like we talked, whoa, everyone okay? All right. But like we talked about a few weeks ago, how there's a difference between the crowd and the called. The crowd was flocking to Jesus not because they had any desire to love him or worship him or follow him, but they were flocking to him to use him, to get what they could out of him to worship themselves. And so here Jesus is. He's been doing ministry here on earth now at this point in Mark for a while. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been casting out demons. And the religious leaders have now accused him of being possessed by the enemy. And the crowds are just wanting to use him for selfish gain. But there are then, like we talked about a few weeks ago too, the encouraging piece. There are a few that are then called out of the crowd who want to follow him and want to worship him and want to be his disciples. By Jesus' teaching in parables, he is revealing truth to those who are in fellowship with him, and he is concealing truth from those who have rejected him, from those who have said, no, you must be, be demon-possessed. You must be operating with a power from the enemy. So now Jesus starts to teach in parables so that those who are in fellowship with him, following after him, truth might be revealed to them, but he is now concealing truth from those who have rejected him. Parables reveal truth to those who are truly seeking it, right? I mean, after many of these parables, his disciples, they're seeking truth. They're like, hey, what does that mean? And so many times Jesus does then interpret the parable while he's pulled his disciples aside. For those who truly want to know what this truth is that he is teaching, he pulls them aside and he explains it. And so even in our passage here in Mark 4, we see the parable initially, and then we see Jesus interpret, interpret it to his disciples when he's pulled them aside. Because those that are truly seeking truth, Jesus is going to explain and interpret the truth for them. But for those who just wanted to use Jesus, for those that just wanted to accuse him or try to, try to catch him in, in some, some uh, 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 religious offense so they can accuse him of a crime, for those he taught in parables to conceal the truth from, him, from them and fulfill scripture from Isaiah 6 because God has all, always known that there will be some who will hear truth and still reject it. They will see the goodness of Jesus, 
and say, no, that must be of the enemy. That can't be the power of God. There will be some who see Jesus but never submit to him. And we will see in this parable in these next few weeks, we're going to see some very different responses to Jesus. But Jesus is strongly telling us to listen. Saying, hey, listen, this is important. Listen, hear this, not just with your ears, but with your heart, with your whole life. Hear this truth that I'm trying to teach. Because he's warning us that there will be some who see but don't perceive. There's going to be some that see but don't understand. There's going to be some that hear but don't really hear. And church, let me then give you a warning this morning as well. Jesus is giving us a strong command to listen. He's giving us a warning to listen. There will be some who are going to hear this and they are going to reject this. And so I need to warn you this morning, okay? I don't necessarily love giving you warnings. I was much like, I would much more like giving you encouragement, right? And there's going to be encouraging things in this sermon. Don't, don't get me wrong, all right? But when Jesus gives a warning, I need to give you all a warning as well, okay? Allow me to lovingly warn you this morning that hearing God's word is dangerous. Hearing God's word is dangerous. Okay, you might not have realized this morning that coming to church would be a dangerous endeavor, right? You might not have realized that reading God's word is a dangerous thing. And, and here's why I can say that, okay? I can say that because God's word will change you. God's word will change you. No one encounters the word of our great God, and does not leave changed in some way. Something will happen to you when you encounter God's word. And we hope and pray that when you hear God's word, that your heart will be softened to it. That, that, that a love for God will be stirred up in your soul. That a love for Christ will be stirred up in your heart. And that you will want to glorify and enjoy God more and more as a result of it. That you will have a sense, kind of, you will have those, those spiritual ear hairs, so to speak, right? That can be in tune with the Spirit. That you will continually love to hear God's Word more and more in your life. My prayer for everyone here this morning is that you would hear this, this good Word and that that would be your response to hearing God's Word. But the reason it is dangerous to hear God's Word, the reason I can say something like that, is because if your heart is not softened to God's word, the other option is for it to be hardened. But make no mistake about it, God's word is accomplishing something in your life. It is bringing about salvation through faith, or it is bringing judgment. And it is a dangerous Thing to hear God's word because if you are not receiving this word, if you are not really hearing this word, if you are just continually hearing God's word but rejecting it, then you are becoming more and more desensitized to it. You are becoming more and more hardened towards the things of God. And this goes along with what we just read last week, right? When Jesus was warning us that there was this unforgivable sin, this unpardonable sin that the religious leaders were very close to committing, right? 
that although God was offering forgiveness through Christ, there would be something that would not be forgiven. And that would be the sin of persistently and continually rejecting Christ. And if you continue in rejecting Christ and you never turn to him and repent of sin, then you will not experience God's forgiveness, but instead God's wrath. That's not a popular thing to talk about, but it is the truth. If you continually sit and listen to God's word and hear the gospel, but you don't hear it in such a way that it leads to repentance and obedience, then you are hardening your heart towards God. And although you might hear God's word, although you might, you know, with your ears hear it, you're not really hearing it, what he's speaking to you. And this is why my heart hurts for church people who have never responded to the gospel. And this is why I believe one of the ways that God wants to work through me as well as through our church is to awaken church people to the beauty of the gospel of grace. To awaken church people to the beauty of the sovereignty of God. To awaken church people to the beauty of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. And I believe the Spirit does stir in my heart a desire to see people who have always thought that they were Christians because they were born into a Christian family or they grew up going to Sunday school or VBS. My heart's desire is to see them actually come to Christ, to hear God's word, but not just hear it, but actually hear it and respond to it with repentance and faith. Because you see, there's a lot of people that grew up in church. There's a lot of people who have sat in churches their whole life. They've grown up going to Sunday school, camp, VBS, whatever it might be. And because they prayed a prayer or they raised a hand at a gathering or walked an aisle, they've been told that they are good and set for eternity. And I vividly remember it was a large gathering of kids that I was at. It was in a big stadium. And it was a, a, some sort of youth kids conference, and an evangelist was sharing the gospel. And at the conclusion of the message, there was a call to receive Christ, which I think is a beautiful thing. When we proclaim the gospel, we should call for a response. We should call for people to put their faith in Christ and receive Christ. And he prayed, he kind of led a sinner's prayer, so to speak, of, of helping us pray a prayer of repentance and faith in Christ. But then after it was done, he said, okay, now raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. Pretty much everyone's hand in the stadium went up, right? Thousands of kids and youth hands went up. And he said, if you prayed that prayer exactly and you raised your hand, I promise you that when you die, you 100% will go to heaven to be with Jesus. And everyone's excited, clapping, right? Thousands of kids just raised their hand. But I, but I sort of felt sick about it. 
And I, I you know, I, I wasn't just being like, I don't want to, to paint myself, I wasn't just being like the Debbie Downer in the stadium, you know, like, well, I mean, really, did all these kids get saved, right? Like, I, I, that, that wasn't my heart or intention behind it at all. I, I love when people make a response in faith and, and put their faith in Christ. That is a beautiful thing to celebrate. We should rejoice. We should call people to receive it and respond. But I felt sick because here are now thousands of kids in Indiana who because of the mindset of, if you prayed that prayer or raised a hand, I promise you are saved. Because of that mindset, these kids are going to either grow up, one, having a false sense of security and a salvation that never actually occurred because there was no actual desire for repentance or obedience. There was no actual love of God and Jesus, but they simply were emotionally manipulated into raising their hand because heaven sounded better than hell and because all their friends were raising their hands as well. So these kids are either going to, one, kind of grow up with this false sense of security when actually nothing has actually happened in their heart. They just kind of prayed a prayer and raised a hand. Or two, my hope and prayer, many of those kids were saved that night, okay? But two would be that they would be saved, but they would grow up with, an under, with a misunderstanding and a confusion about how they actually came to be saved. Because to them it would seem that repeating a certain prayer or raising a hand is what had accomplished salvation instead of a supernatural work on their heart. And so kind of in that moment, it was God almost sort of starting to prepare me for ministry years in the future because here I knew, okay, in 10 years, these are going to be young adults who either, one, have a false sense of security and a salvation that never occurred, or two, these are saved believers that have a very misunderstood concept of their salvation and how they came about being saved. Becoming a Christian and our salvation, it's not just a magical prayer that we recite after one another. If you repeat after me, you will be saved. No. We can certainly lead people in prayers like that, but it's not the actual words. It's not, it's not a magical prayer we recite. It is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the heart. Becoming a Christian is not just making a decision for Christ. It is a matter of repentance and faith. It is turning from everything you have looked to for your pleasure and acceptance and salvation and purpose in your life. It's turning from that and putting all of your faith, your trust, your reliance, your dependence, your confidence on Christ and Christ alone. And that ability to put your faith in Christ, that is a gift that God has graciously given you. That you're in your own strength, you would not have turned to Christ. It was a supernatural work of God that allowed you to turn from sin and trust in Christ. And so I, I, in the end, I have no problem people raising a hand or walking an aisle but you need to understand is it wasn't the act of raising a hand or walking an aisle that saved you. It was the supernatural work of God in your heart that gave you the ability to respond in faith and raise a hand and walk an aisle. 
Now listen, I have no desire to put doubt in the hearts of believers about your salvation, okay? My purpose this morning is not to make you question your, your salvation experience, you know, to think back when you were a child, maybe some of you, it was when you were a, children, a child at camp, at a retreat, at a conference, at church, wherever it was. My purpose this morning is not to make you question that or try to reevaluate, well, did I really respond with repentance and faith or was it just an emotional response? I have no desire for you to, to analyze that situation that you were in, okay? But church, I do want to tell you this morning that true faith produces fruit. True faith produces fruit. And you don't need to nitpick your faith or when you, when you would say your conversion experience was. You don't need to think back to that time and try to nitpick what you were thinking or feeling in that exact moment. My question for you today is, what is your faith in today? What is your faith in today? In your life, have you seen a growing love of Jesus in your life? Or are you growing more and more indifferent to Christ? If you have been growing in your love of Jesus, and even if it's an ultra-slow, you know, tortoise-type pace of growth in your love for Jesus, but if you have been growing in your love of Jesus, if you have been growing in your ability to trust Him more, if you've been growing in your love of His Word, if His Word is becoming a little bit sweeter and sweeter to you, if being with His people and being a part of His family is becoming slowly more desirable to you, Praise God, I would suggest that you have got ears to hear and that your faith is producing fruit. There's no need to analyze that exact moment of when you would say you started to follow Christ. I would say, hey, look, is your life producing fruit? Is your faith growing? Do you love Jesus more now than you did then? But Jesus warns us, though. He warns us because there are those who hear God's word with their ears, but their hearts do not receive it. And instead, they reject and resist it. And next week, when we talk about the different soils, we're going to see those that are rejected right away. We're going to see those that it's kind of a superficial response. We're going to see those that then, when the hard times come, it gets choked out. But is your faith and love of Jesus growing? True faith produces fruit. My concern is for the person who raised their hand in Sunday school to accept Jesus, but since that time has had no fruit in their lives. Yes, they prayed a prayer. They repeated after certain words. But as they've been sitting in church and hearing God's word, instead of their love growing for Jesus, they're becoming more and more indifferent of him. Instead of trusting him more, they're trusting more and relying in their own gifts and good works and self-righteousness. His word isn't becoming sweeter to some, but instead feels more and more burdensome to those that are not truly hearing. And being a part of God's new family, the church, it isn't more desirable to them. It's instead more annoying and a nuisance to them. 
And if that is you this morning, you must hear this warning, okay? Jesus is giving us this warning that it is dangerous to hear God's word and not really hear it. It is dangerous to hear God's word, but it, but it seemingly not have an impact or effect on you. True faith will produce fruit. Jesus is clear that it is dangerous for a person to reject or resist his word, the leading of the Spirit. Uh, we recently, we started reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia series. I read, them, I read them growing up as a kid, but it had been a while, and now Jackson's old enough that we started, uh, started reading through those. And the first book of the series, which I forgot, I mean, the most popular one is, the, is the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? But the actual, the first book is called The Magician's Nephew. And in the Magician's Nephew book, we learn how Narnia is created. Narnia was created when Aslan, and for those that, that aren't familiar with the series, okay, Aslan is the lion who's kind of the Christ-like figure in the stories. Narnia is created when Aslan sings it into being. It's a creation song that reveals Aslan's majesty and his glory. It's like a spectacular call to worship. He, he sings with his words, Narnia into being. But there is one, there's a guy named Uncle Andrew, okay? Uncle Andrew, who refuses to hear it. And the consequences of refusing to hear it are now applicable to us today as we're looking at our passage, okay? Uncle Andrew refused to hear it. When Aslan had first begun singing, Uncle Andrew realized that the noise was a song. And he had disliked that song very much. It made him think and feel things he did not want to think and feel. Then, when the sun rose and he saw that the singer was a lion, only a lion, as he said to himself, he tried his hardest to make himself believe that it wasn't singing and never had been singing, only roaring as any lion might in a zoo or in our world today. Of course it can't really have been singing, he thought. I must have imagined it. I've been letting my nerves get out of order. Who ever heard of a lion singing? And the longer and more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Uncle Andrew soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else, even if he had wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words. He heard only a snarl. Church, our God spoke and sung the world into existence by the power of his beautiful and glorious word. And when his word is spoken to you, do not refuse it. Do not reject it, but instead receive it. Our God is a good God whose words bring life. But to reject them will just lead to misery and death and a deafness to God's words. God's word is working on your heart in some way. It is bringing about salvation through faith or it is bringing judgment. May you receive his word this morning. When he speaks to you in his word this morning, even Christians, even followers of Christ, as you read his word and he convicts you through his word, don't reject it. Don't push it off. 
Don't try to run the other direction. Receive it. And may we be a part of those that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 13. It says in Matthew 13, verse 16 and 17, he says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Well, to summarize thus far, parables, remember, they are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. They are illustrations that come alongside a truth that Jesus is trying to clarify and teach to people. Jesus then strongly urges and commands us to listen, all right, to listen in a way that we receive it, to listen in a way that we obey it. And Jesus then warns us that his word is going to be received in a variety of ways. But blessed is the person who truly hears God's word and accepts God's word. Okay, let's just start into the parable briefly, and then we're going to come back to it next week. So this was my intro uh, to the parable, and everyone can breathe a sigh of relief that I broke the sermon up into two parts, okay? Uh, that's, that's the intro, and we will do more next week. But let's look for just real briefly at this parable. Mark 4, verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Skip down to now verse 13, Mark 4 verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Okay, the sower representing anyone who is taking the word out to the world or is taking and proclaiming the gospel. And then in this passage, we see four different soils that the sower is sowing on. We're seeing four different responses and receptions of the word. Three that seem like they're kind of bad, right? Not really successful, but one that is very, very good. And notice what is being sown. The sower sows the word, the word. Now we talk a lot about the word. When we talk about the word, we need to understand what we are talking about when we talk about the word, okay? When we talk about the word, we are both talking about the inspired word, okay? Which we know as the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God. But we're also talking about the incarnate word, okay? The Bible says that Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. So we're talking about the inspired word and the incarnate word, the scriptures and Jesus, okay? And what do we notice about how the sower is sowing? It's sowing the word. The word is scattered throughout the world, taken to all people. The good news about Jesus, the gospel message is going forth it's not, uh, the sower isn't taking, I guess, self-help strategies or motivational talks. He's taking the word. He's scattering the word. 
And, and then notice in this parable, it does not appear to be that the sower is being very selective in where they are sowing the word. Right? I mean, there's no, uh, there's no marketing strategy here to kind of find, right, that, that actual people group or that soil that's going to be really responsive. But no, the word is going out to all. It's being scattered everywhere. The gospel, the message of Jesus is going out, should go out to every, everyone and everywhere. It seems like it seems like this is not a very effective or a efficient way to take the word out into the world, right? It seems like this could be sort of discouraging, right? That three-fourths of the soils we're looking at did not seem to receive the word very well. Three of the four soils do not have good responses. We wouldn't say they had fruitful responses to the word. And church, you must understand this. This is why it's so important to understand this parable is that as you live on mission in the world and as you take the word to the world, as you take the good news about Jesus to them, you must understand that many times it will not be received well. Many times it's not going to produce fruit. And if you don't understand that, you're going to get very discouraged the first time you share the gospel with someone or the first time you share a verse with someone and they don't immediately respond the way you would hope they would. But church, the good and encouraging truth in this passage, this actually is a very encouraging passage, okay? The good and encouraging truth in this parable is that there is a soil that the word will fall on and it is going to produce exponential amounts of fruit. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So I'm just kind of introing into next week. But there is a soil that will hear, that will receive, that will accept the word. And it is a, so a soil that then will surprise us all as to how much fruit it is going to produce. So study, read, pray through this passage this week, and we're going to take a closer look at the soils uh, next week. But he who has ears, let him hear. God's word will change us. May we, pr may we pray and plead with God that as we hear his word here on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, that we would not reject it, that we would not resist it, but that we would receive it that it would transform our hearts and that we would truly hear it. And church, this week, when God's word convicts you, when it comforts you, when God speaks to you through his word, do not resist it. Do not reject it. Embrace it. Accept it. Believe it. Obey it. And I'll leave you this morning with Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11 thinking about how God's word goes forth and it will be successful. Isaiah 55, 10. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let's pray.
Father, we do trust and know that your word will succeed, that it will accomplish your purposes. And God, I ask for us that we would have ears to truly hear your word, that we would accept your word, receive it, believe it, that it would change our hearts. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.